Oh! 
pour it out on him. It's your bed, not us. Man, it feels good in here, doesn't it? Well, I trust you guys all had a wonderful Christmas. Uh, you know, I think about Christmas, it's pretty much all about giving. You know, I've got a couple small children now. We try to explain to them, hey, the reason you're getting all these bunches of gifts is because we received an indescribable gift that could never be paid back. And that's the entire reason we get into this whole Christmas tradition of, of giving people gifts and all this. But today... You know, what a great opportunity the last day of the year, or the last Sunday of the year, just to give back to the Lord. And uh, if any of you guys just had a bumper year, uh, this is a good time to just offload that before, before 2016, so you don't get hit so hard by these big taxes from this amazing, awesome, blessed year you just had. But no, seriously, if you give like that, that's probably what 2016 will look like. <laughs> but Lord, uh, we just thank you, God, that you... First of all, God so loved the world that he gave. God, you gave us Jesus. I mean, we could never in a million years repay the gift of Christ coming to the earth and being born in that tiny little obscure town and being the savior of the world. Oh, God, the whole story is so just outstanding and amazing. But, Lord, we're humbled, God, by your great gift. And, Father, we just want to give back, God, what little we can, God, just as a measure, God, of our love and our appreciation and our thanksgiving. Lord, you've given everything to us, Lord. We don't own anything, God. Whatever we have, it's come from you, Lord. And so we gladly and joyfully give back a portion, Lord, of the blessings that you have given us. And Father, I thank you for 2015. I also thank you that it is almost over, and I'm looking forward to this next year. And I thank you that 2016 will be greater than 2015, God. And I speak that over your people. And I just bless you, and I bless these people as we give. And ushers, if you guys want to want to hand out uh, cards, if you have cash or, or whatever they do, I'm terrible at taking up offerings. Here's what I always say. If you love God, you give. I've never met a, a lover that wasn't a giver. So that's pretty simple. But um, if you want to throw a little CD on. Hey, I actually do have a little word here this morning. This is going to sound generic because we're coming up to the new year. But I kept seeing the number 888, which, you know, 8 is new beginnings. If you see something three times, that's pretty strong. And so I believe that for some of us, 2016 really is going to be a year of some new beginnings. How many of you guys had a hard 2015? Anybody? 
I'll go on record and say 2015 was probably my hardest year in about the last decade. But that gives me great encouragement for next year. <laughs> you know, usually you go through some testing right before a major promotion, right? Has, have you guys found that cycle? I've seen that a lot with the Lord. So if you had a rough 2015, hey, 2016 will probably be awesome. <laughs> so I want to prophesy over you guys. If anybody wants to grab that, you can. This is a free one. There's new beginnings. New beginnings. This is not hype. This is the Lord. <laughs> new beginnings are coming to many, many people this year. 2015 was a year of testing for a lot of people, and 2016 will be a year of great advancement. If you guys don't know it, I'm prophesying. 2016 will be a great year of advancement for many of you in this room. Lord, we thank you for that, and we say, yes, Lord. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. You are faithful. Awesome. Um, I'll probably forget some of the particulars here, but really, I want to just hand the mic over to our speaker this morning, but before I do, I'm going to... I'm going to give him a long, big, humongous introduction. Nah. Hey, I will say this. I've, I've gotten to know Dave a good bit this year. Uh, he's been over to my house quite a few times. We've been in the woods together with weapons, so, you know, we have to trust each other. Um, I mean, so we've, we've developed a friendship, and, and I'll tell you one quick funny story. Um, Joseph Falco that runs sound for us, you know, he got married this year. Well, the night of his wedding rehearsal dinner, which I had to be at at 6 o'clock. Me and Dave are in the woods. I don't know if Joseph knows that. He probably does. So <laughs> we're in the woods, and I have to leave, like, quick to get to the thing, to the rehearsal dinner. So I have the four-wheeler, so I leave. And Dave ends up shooting this big, huge buck, and I have the four-wheeler, and I go to the wedding rehearsal. So poor Dave had to go in there and drag that thing out five or six or seven hundred yards by himself. I abandoned him and left him in the woods at dark, and he had to drag that big old deer out. He'll never forgive me. But it was a fun story. But, <laughs> but anyway, so we broke him in good this year at the hunting ground. But, hey, I'll tell you my favorite thing about Dave. Um, every time I talk to him on the phone or every time I talk to him in person, you won't go more than five minutes before he breaks out into spontaneous prayer. I love that. It doesn't matter what we're talking about. A prayer is five minutes away. And I love that. It's just have a conversation with him, and it'll end in prayer. It's really cool. I think that's just a, a thing that you have. It's a special, neat thing that you have there. So, but anyway, Dave is the VP of Morningstar, and uh, you guys have probably all met him and seen him if you haven't. Uh, he'll be your introduction today. So without any further ado, Dave Yarn is going to come bring the word this morning. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. What he didn't tell you is that I helped him pull like five deer out of that woods when I was getting extremely jealous. Yeah, he's a great hunter, great friend. It's so good to see so many friends up here. Amen. People that I've known over the years. How many people have been here uh, while this building sat vacant for all those years? Amen. You guys have a special reward coming. For those of you that don't know, this building was vacant for a long time. I remember myself and Pastor Dave standing in the back when this was just a shell. Just calling in, believing, believing for you, believing for this day, believing for this time. And uh, I want to uh, uh, speak to your minds today. Amen? Y'all are good spiritual people. But I want to I kind of talk to your, your mind, talk to your intellect a little bit. 
We are absolutely on the verge of revival, I believe, in this church. And I don't, I don't just say that. I travel enough and been around enough where I can kind of smell things. I can kind of sense when things are happening. But I want to talk to you really, uh, all of us, uh, about the purpose of revival. You know, what is, what is God intending for this move? And... Uh, I was going to stop and pray and glorify the Lord a little bit with you, but you guys did such an amazing job in worship. Um, it was just waves of uh, God's presence coming. And, uh, you know, sometimes we, t- we take this for granted. All you need to do is go to one Sunday at some dry church, and you'll come back and thank the Lord for what you have here, you know. And, uh, you know, God's doing different things at different places, but... You can really sense the anointing here. You've got great leadership. Uh, I know Chris well. I know uh, Pastor Dave for many, many years. I know him and his wife were great friends. And uh, Rick and I just highly, highly believe in what's going on here. I don't want to waste uh, any time on introduction. I, I, you guys are serious people. You're leaders. Uh, you know, you guys are world changers. So I want to get right into it. We've been praying for this revival to erupt, uh, and there are churches that are going to experience it, that are going to experience it. And uh, I've been privileged to be around a couple of churches lately. Just got back from South Africa, and South Africa feels like a powder keg. All it needs is just a, a tiny match. You know, it says, where sin abounds, grace doth abound more. And uh, the aftermath after of apartheid and just a number of things there, the tension... You know, Johannesburg has become one of the most dangerous cities on the the face of the earth, but you can feel God's presence just waiting to erupt. I do a lot of work in South America, and I can feel God's presence ready to erupt, just like here. But, you know, we need to prepare because, unfortunately, the people that persecute revival are the ones that have experienced the last revival, typically. You know, people that have been in the church and been indoctrinated in certain systems and seen God move, unfortunately, if you're not prepared, you'll be the one to criticize, to not understand. That's all right. I don't need an amen for that one. I'm just just telling it like it is. And, uh, you know, Jesus talked of it when he was talking to the Pharisees, didn't he? He said... um, you know, you recognize the sign of the sky, but you can't recognize the time of my coming. And they actually, you know, can you imagine? They're praying for the revelation of the kingdom of God. And they are some of the most devout people on the face of the earth. But yet when it comes, they can't recognize it, and they end up persecuting it and ultimately trying to kill it. And uh, you ever think about that? I mean, I don't want to be in that situation Um, you know, I don't want to have that curse of the second generation. So I do think it's important for us that have been around a little bit, maybe to admit we don't have everything quite figured out the way we should, or, you know, things aren't going to happen exactly as we planned, and maybe begin to shift our paradigm and shift our thinking. God, what is this revival going to look like? You know, maybe it's going to be different. You know, uh, we've been praying for your presence, and... um, Lord, we don't want to resist something just because we have a preconceived notion and it doesn't fit. Because we all tend to take a snapshot when God moves. Like, uh, 
you know, God moves and his presence is there and we kind of take a snapshot, the kind of music that was playing and, you know, who was speaking and we, t- we tend to be people of formula. Gosh, if I can have this kind of music playing and this kind of preaching and this kind of situation, then God will come. Well, it's not like that. It's a new generation. Um, I'll just, uh, when I was uh, younger, before, uh, uh, you know, I was just, just getting into ministry. It's been about uh, 30 years now, been in and out of ministry and business. But about 30 years ago, I came to realize that there was more of the presence of God than I'd ever seen. I just, I just kind of instinctively knew that what I'd been watching in services was just, just a little tiny bit of what God had. And I just began to pray on my own. There wasn't any prayer meeting or anything going on. I, as a matter of fact, I would come home at night and I'd walk the dog and I would pray. I'd, I'd pray, God, I know there's more of you. I know there's something more. I know there's a, a greater fullness of your presence. I didn't even have words, but I knew there was something more. And I saw it in the scripture. And the strangest thing happened. I mean, I prayed for weeks and months at night, and I'd walk my dog. And one night, I was praying, God, you've got to show me. You've got to give me this thing. I, I sense your presence is right there. And he said, for what? You don't really do anything. And I thought, yeah, you know, I really don't. He goes, what are you going to do, like heal the dog or, you know, I mean, I thought, yeah. And I began to realize that it's kind of like praying to upgrade the power in your house without something to plug into it. And I stopped praying and I said, well, you know, God, let me think about this for a while. And after a couple of weeks, I, um, I came back and I said, Lord, there's this little city that's near me. It's about an hour away. It's really inconvenient. You know how God is. And I said, there's these kids, they meet downtown, and they're just kind of from bad background, but I think I can reach them. What if I go there and start to minister to them? Will you send your glory? And he said, yes, I'll meet you there. And honestly, that step of faith is really what brings me here event after event and building after building and city after city this you know me being here today is part of that extraordinary journey but it took that step of faith I'm telling you revival is coming but there's an outlet for it that you might not have thought about before and you're gonna be a part of it you're gonna be a part of ushering it in you're gonna be a part of maybe sitting the sidelines I don't believe that's anybody here that's gonna do that and hopefully None of us here are going to be a part of resisting it. But there's a reason, there's a purpose for this. And I'm just going to let you in on it. It's not just so we can sit in church and soak up his presence while this world gets worse and worse. You know, last night as we slept in our beds and as we, you know, ate our meals and you know, did all of our Christmas things. I overate so much, it was just sinful. It was just terrible. You know, I, bring, I blame my mom for my overeating. You know, she was the kind of mother, she went on to be with the Lord, but she was the kind of mother, like if you fell down, she would bake a cake for you or something, you know what I mean? So you just kind of get this cognitive reinforcement. And my family was Polish, and those Polish ladies can cook and uh, never spared the butter or the lard or, I mean... My mom could fry salad if she had a recipe for it. 
So, uh, but while we were in our houses, you know, all around this country, there were people that uh, were in abusive homes, uh, kids wandering without direction, being told that their God is a God of atheism, that they were the victim of chance and evolved from monkeys. And, and there were men and women in battered situations and people struggling for jobs. And, you know, a country, if you would have told me that we would have passed the kind of legislation that we did this summer 20 years ago, I, I, would, I would never have believed it. What's my point? <clears throat> there has to be more to our expression of faith. Because if it doesn't affect these things around it, my brothers and sisters, I would question it. Revival's coming for us, but it is not to just soak up God's presence. I'm going to praise God for his presence. Praise God that we can come in and get regenerated. But there's a lost and dying world. I was seeking the presence of God for, uh, for years. You know, I started pastoring. And uh, we had a really cool church. I had uh, purchased some big buildings on Main Street in my city. You know, church was going really well. And I would get together and I would fast and pray and uh, just seek his presence, you know, myself and some of the leadership. And we would really experience the shaking of God. But I can absolutely tell you the time in my life I felt the nearness of God more than anything else. One day I was at a conference and uh, I met these guys from Africa just wonderful men and women of God, and they were telling me about some of the pastors there having need. And kind of like my heart was hardened to it, you ever get that feeling? You know what I mean? It's kind of like when homeless people come up and they want money. You know, you're like, man, I love Jesus, I want to give you the money, but you might be smoking crack, I don't know what to do. Come on, anybody, be real with me. You feel that same way too, you know? And then you feel guilty when you drive away, and you know, did I do the right thing? So they were telling me about these guys in Africa, and a friend of mine goes, hey, I tell you what, you're in business, you make a lot of money, Dave, I'm in business, why don't we just buy plane tickets, we'll just drive around Africa and we'll visit all these churches. And I thought, well, that's a cool idea. And uh, I had no idea how abject poverty looked. I had no idea what the AIDS pandemic had done. I saw villages where every adult between 16 and 40 had died. And there were just old women and uh, little kids. And I saw pastors whose wives had died because they lacked a dollar for malaria medicine. And uh, after a while, I mean, I just, you know, was trying to wrestle with this all in my mind. I'm like, God, I got this nice bed and a big house and all this stuff, and these people don't have anything. How does this all work? And um, I stumbled upon this orphanage with a friend of mine, and what had happened is some people from the U.S. were supporting it, and then they kind of gave up. They got frustrated. But the problem is you couldn't do anything with these kids. There was 100 kids living in this orphanage, and they didn't have anything. They didn't have anything. I mean, zero without the rim on it. That's what they had. And we got there, and we just started you know, giving them money and buying food. <clears throat> there was one adult, about 90 kids, as I recall, and they seemed to be all under the age of 15. And Mama Joyce was the one lady that took care of them all. Little stick buildings and you know, mud floors and that kind of a thing. And I talked to her, and I said, uh, how are things going here? And she said, well, 
You know, we've been fasting. That's the word she used for starving. They didn't have any food, but I uh, said, we've been fasting. And she said, but things are so much better since God came two weeks ago, Tuesday at 7 o'clock. And she was really specific. You ever talk with someone from another country and they're speaking English, but you're like, I'm not sure if you're meaning what you mean to say you mean. Anybody ever have that, you know? So I'm like, that's kind of specific, but for God's presence to show up. And I said, Joyce, what does that look like? And she said, well, we hadn't had any food. We were fasting. And then all of a sudden, lights came on in all of our little houses. And the children got out of their beds and they began to speak in other tongues and prophesy. And the glory of God came down. Uh, Man, I'll get touched just thinking of this because this was a really important time in my life. And I looked at her with this look of disbelief because I saw that it was the daytime, little kids were running around, and I thought, gosh, you know, how does that work? And she, she put her hand on my shoulder and she said, don't worry, dearie, he comes every night at seven. I'm like, that's pretty, pretty precise guy, God. I've been seeking the presence of God, you know, in New York, praying and fasting, doing everything I knew to do to bring about revival, and now she's telling me that God meets them here in the backside of the desert in Eldoret, Kenya, at 7 o'clock. Who knew? <laughs> so I had my, uh, uh, I used to travel with uh, uh, a little helper, a business associate friend of mine. We went back, we had a little hut, and I got ready, you know. Went through my stuff and dug out whatever clean clothes I could find by then, and, you know. Uh, did the wash basin bath. You guys know you've been to Africa. You kind of poured over. It got all ready for God. So about 6.30, they take us into a little building with a little Coleman lantern. Remember those ones you used to pump up? They got the little mantle on it, and that's all they had. didn't have any electricity. These 80 kids began to sing. But I realized no one had taught them Christian songs. You know what I mean? They didn't know songs that we knew. They just evolved. And their worship was call and response. One little girl, you know, they... They were all playing whatever instrument they could find, little piece of bottle or sticks or making noise or whatever they could, you know, and uh, just kind of dancing. <clears throat> and in the middle of it, one girl would stand up and she would say, I say God is a mighty God. And all the kids would say, yes, he is. God is a mighty God. And then she'd walk around for a while and she'd just make this declaration. That was her worship. And I thought, isn't this wonderful? This is what Mama Joyce was talking about. But I still had 10 minutes to go before 7. And all of a sudden, the worship starts to build. And the only way I can explain it is the presence of Jesus just walked into the room. And uh, now you would think I would just be doing whatever, but immediately I hit the floor. And my only prayer that I could muster is, God, don't come any closer. Honestly, amidst of just you know, crying and just experiencing the presence of God like never before. And uh, I could hear the children begin prophesying different languages and different, uh, it was bold. I mean, these were little kids, but they were loud and forceful. And uh, I don't know how I got back to my little hut or what happened from there, but uh, I was a mess and then the next day I was having breakfast and she said, you know, God will come tonight. And sure enough, he did at 7 o'clock, same thing. And by the third night, <clears throat> I got up enough courage. I said, when he comes tonight, I'm going to ask him one question. 
you know, you kind of like rehearse it. Like you ever have to like have a confrontational meeting with someone, you kind of rehearse the first line in your head. Well, I'm just going to blurt out this first line and then I'll get, you know, be into it. I said, God, I want to, I want to know why you're here. You know, this is extraordinary. I mean, I've been seeking the presence of God and doing everything I knew to do. And all this time, he's in this little orphanage in Kenya in a way that I had never experienced. Now, some of you may have experienced things like this, and I want to just tell you, it wasn't just emotionalism from these kids. This was something to this day I hadn't seen. So 7 o'clock comes, and amidst my blubbering, and, you know, I, I, I cried so much during those times, I would just, like, my, I'd be soaked from sweat and tears. And I got up the courage, and I said, Lord, why here? I mean, surely they don't even have a recording device. They can't really, you know, broadcast your glory. They don't really have anything. And he said, I've come here because of their extreme need. They have nothing. They have no moms, dads. They have no meals. They have no place to go, nothing to rely on. Can you imagine? I mean, just nothing, you know. They don't know where anything's coming from. And I've come this way to meet with them. And all of a sudden, it hit me. All this time I'd been in church, praying for God to come and bless my meetings, he's out there crying and weeping and trying to save his children and change this world. And the purpose for revival really hit me. God, I thank you when your presence comes in church. But it is not, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, don't kick me out. I still got a couple minutes to go. It's not just for us to sit here and be blessed by it. You are responsible to be that that outreach to fill that gap between his presence and a lost and dying world. And there really are three incredible lies of the enemy, and I want to tell them to you. One is that you're too insignificant to make much of a change. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You, my friend. Now, um, How do I want to say this in a way that makes sense? Because of what we have here and because of what we're going to be experienced when revival comes. Revival is, I don't even know how to say it, Chris, it's already started. You can feel it. It's ramping up. I mean, you can feel this thing. But you're responsible for it. You can't just be a a swamp where the water flows in and it doesn't go out. I know you guys know this. But I'm telling you, it's time to prepare now. It's time to change our thinking now because it's coming. And the, that lie, that single big lie, I mean, there's, there's three of them that I, I really want to tell you about, that you're too insignificant to make much of a change. I want to tell you, absolutely, you have no idea how much your tiny efforts for the kingdom outside of this building have a ripple effect in the world. They have, and you, you, you just can't know. Um, the person that led me to the Lord uh, was in a bar when I was a young man, and he led me to the Lord, and uh, he probably never knows what happened to me, you know, never, 
I never, I lost track of him. Maybe through the modern world of Facebook, I can find him and thank him, but he'll never know what his little trip to that bar to preach to some young kid had and how my life changed other people. You know, you've heard me maybe tell the story of the people that led up to the salvation of Billy Graham. Little tiny acts. One guy one day went to visit one of his kids who worked in a shoe store and he led him to the Lord and through a chain of events that miracle of that tiny act would lead Billy Graham to the Lord. And the millions and millions of souls that Billy Graham has worked for will be credited to that one man's account. Insignificant little man, Kimball, who only knew he did one thing. He led a young stock clerk to the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, don't let the devil rob you of that. You could go home today. You could buy your passport. You could take initiative. You could say, I'm going to just take one person in my town, and I'm going to start to write them emails. One of the most significant things in my life, I had a pastor that would write me these, I mean, that was back in the days of typewriter, remember that? He would type these letters out, and he would send them to me once a month. They were like gold to me. I would get those letters, and, you know, how does he know what, what effect that had? The second biggest lie is that someone else will take care of the problem or the burden that's on your heart. And this is uh, coming from Rick and the Morning Star staff. If you've got the burden, it's your responsibility. No one else is going to have... I mean, isn't it amazing the tapestry of the kingdom of God when you talk to people what they're passionate about? You know, some people are passionate about... Uh, um, you know, the unborn and championing the, the right, uh, you know, coming against abortion. Some people are passionate about the uh, environment and, you know, uh, you know, God's creation. Other people are passionate about sex trade. Other people are passionate about orphans. But it's, it's God's way of putting burdens on all of our heart, and we can't take that off. You know, as, as, a, as a speaker, as a minister, as, you know, a lot of people try to do that to me. Brother Dave, how are you? Hey, I've got this burden I want to tell you about. Well, don't, don't, I got it on my own. I'm full. If God put it on your heart, you got to do something about it. You know, the third biggest lie, you know, you're, the first is you're, you're too insignificant to make any change. You don't have the right money. You don't have the right platform. You don't have the right connections. You know, all that stuff is just, uh, it's part of what we call the loser's limp. There's no excuse. The second one is that someone else will take care of the problem. The third is that you don't have the proper time to begin. This is the one that, Chris, I'm telling you, this one offsets so many people. You know, when you're younger, you're like, well, I got to take care of my wife and my kids. And then your kids are in school and like, well, I can't go and do this thing now. I got to wait for my kids to get a little bit older. And, and then when you're older, you're like, well, I'm too old. I mean, there is never an appropriate time for you to begin that ministry to a lost and dying world. It will never line up. I know you're thinking in your, your heart that something's going to happen. You'll have enough money or you don't have too much money. Ed and Lisa Snydecki are back there. You can ask them. I mean, some of the most incredible giving, mission-minded people I've ever known, but they've been all over the world ministering, and there's just never an appropriate time. As a matter of fact, probably the opposite happens. Just about the time you're ready to go, the contract comes in you need to take care of, or your kid needs this or that, you know. 
You have no idea the impact of your lives. Turn with me to James 2.14. James 2.14-19. Come on, he's preaching about the purpose of revival up here. I've made up in my mind, I've, nobody came today, I'm going to just preach to the walls. I'm going to saturate this thing. There really is a, a, a world. You, you, I just feel the, the, the presence of God saying, Dave, scream, shout. People have no idea if they can get their minds outside of the four walls a little bit and just do tiny actions, how cataclysmically that's going to shape things. James 2.14. get to that. My friends, what good is it for one of you to say that you have faith if your actions don't prove it? Can that faith save you? Suppose there are brothers and sisters who need clothes and don't have enough to eat. What good is there for you saying to them, God bless you, keep warm and eat well, if you don't give them the necessities of life? So it is with faith. If it is alone, and includes no actions, then it is dead. I'm reading out of the, the Good News translation because I really like that, the way it puts it. But someone will say, one person has faith, another has action. My answer is, show me how anyone can have faith without actions. And I will show you my faith by my actions. Do you believe that there's one God? Great. The demons also believe in fear. The religious spirit wants you to work for your right standing before God. But once you feel you've achieved that, it tells you there's nothing else to do. But the spirit of God and the spirit of the kingdom says there's really nothing you can do to earn your right standing before God. But once you're in the kingdom, you have an obligation. We really do. I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, my oldest uh, son is uh, in college, and you know he's, uh, he grew up on the church bench, probably like some of your kids, probably like Chris's kids. You know, I mean, his earliest moments were sleeping on the back while his dad was preaching somewhere. But as he's gotten older, he has questions. Well, why does the church do this? Why do they do that? And some of them are great questions. I'm like, boy, I really don't know, son. You know, I don't know where these things come from. He's really challenging my faith. But one of the things I, I see through his eyes is like, Dad, how come we've got the goods and we don't seem to be affecting this world the way we should? You know, we got great meetings, and then we walk from our, to our cars and drive through demon-infested cities full of need and poverty and get in our houses and, you know, put on Hosanna music or whatever, IHOP. We were in this thing, and then we, you know, Bunker down again, we come back out. <laughs> come on, sister, you know it's true. And I think we've lost sight of this. The kingdom gives us a responsibility. I can't, how selfish is it for me to think that I am responsible just for me and my family alone? I mean, I've, I am, you are, you're the ambassador of the kingdom of God in your neighborhood. Yeah. 
24-7, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If anyone wants to know how to get into the kingdom, they've got to come through you. You are the dispenser of miracles. You know, in Acts, when it talks about Paul doing extraordinary miracles, he's doing them to attest to God's kingdom in the marketplace. That's the purpose of miracles, that he can prove that there's a king beyond what they've seen. You are absolutely... Go ahead and put your hands up for me right here. Just take a look at them. If you want to see the dead raised, if you want to see financial miracles, you're going to have to take these hands and put them on somebody that's stone cold dead and ask them to come back in Jesus' name. You're going to have to take these hands and put them on their sick neighbor's kids. You're going to have to take these hands, lay them on their checkbook, believe for God's resources. You're going to have to help them. It's going to take these hands. And uh, I guarantee you that when you step into that gap, right at the fringe of the kingdom, you know, that's why, that's why I love preaching, you know, the gospel of seven mountains and, you know, the kingdom of God coming because I see these people as frontline warriors, people that are engaged in marketplace ministry. They're right at the edge of the kingdom. They're our most strategically placed front-time warriors, frontline warriors. I guarantee you that if this year you will take time and you will step into the fray, if you'll commit to something and you'll rebuke those three lies that you don't have enough, it's not the right time, or you're not the right person, if you'll step into the fray, if you'll take initiative, don't wait for Pastor Dave to notice you. I mean, you know, so many times I travel, that's what people are waiting for. You know, if someone, someone from church leadership just recognizes me. You know what they're waiting for? For you to take initiative, for you to step out and be faithful in that. I guarantee if you'll do that, you will meet with a living God in a way that you've never experienced before. So the last story I'll tell you, I had this home group meeting one time, and uh, I was coming home from work. I had just built a new hotel, and I was working 15-hour days, and I was pastoring at the same time and you know, doing home group meetings. and. I was coming back home, and I had an hour drive, and I thought, man, I'm just going to go to bed. This is all I wanted to do. So when I come home, it was a frustrating day. The hotel's half-built, and, and uh, on the way home, I get a call, and they say, well, you know, a, you have a cell meeting or a home meeting at your house tonight. I'm like, oh, you know, some Christian I am, I'm, I'm wondering how I can cancel this thing. That was the biggest thing on my mind. And then I get a call, and the guy says, no, it's, uh, we're going to have, like, a barbecue and just to show you my heart, you know, it might be like some of you, probably not, but I, the, the only thing I could think of is how do I escape from talking to anybody, get them out of my house quick enough where I can go to bed, right? So I get there, and, you know, there's a lot of people in my house, and I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to man the grill. And if somebody comes to talk to me there, I'm going to get up, I'm going to go here. If they try to get me there, I'm going to go, and I'm just going to keep working this loop, and then that way... Um, I won't feel like I'm offending them. So I tried that for a while, and sure enough, this girl comes, and she's got this guy that she found, and he's homeless. His name was Russ. And she goes, Pastor, can I just talk to you? I've got this friend here. And I'm like, no, you know, I've got to do the thing. And she waited and waited, and everybody left. Now I've got her and Russ. Russ. 
And I go, you know, oh man, my, my attitude was terrible, terrible. She said, uh, you know, he's homeless and he needs this and that. And I, you know, the first question I always ask coming from New York is, you know, define homelessness, really. Where, where are you staying? He goes, well, I'm living under the Third Street Bridge. And I'm like, well, that pretty much settles. I mean, that's, that's, your, you know, that's your definition of homeless. Sometimes they're living at someone's house or something like that. But if you're living under the bridge, so he's living under the bridge. I, I said, Russ, what is it that you're looking to me for? And he said, hey, I've, I've got a job as a painter. If I can just get a place to stay for a few days and get my stuff together, I, this a day laborer as a painter, I can make enough in a week or so and I can get myself back on my feet. And asked him if he was on drugs and he wasn't, just fell on hard times. And now I gotta deal with this, right? I can't just give him the money. I mean, because if you give him the money, you don't know what's gonna happen. It's like 10 o'clock at night. Now I've got to figure out what to do with the guy. And he goes, well, there's a bar called the Bullfrog. And I knew this place. This place was, every time I'd ever drove by, there was a brawl going out in front of the place. It was kind of like painted maybe in the 1800s or something like that, you know. And just real dive. And he goes, they have rooms there, and they're 25 bucks a week. If I can get one of these rooms, I'm like, oh, man. Get in the car, mad. Drive down to the bullfrog now. 20 minutes out of my way. This guy's kind of stinky, and I'm just driving. I don't even want to talk with him. So I'm driving down there, and the Lord's like, aren't you even going to witness Jesus to him? I'm like, really, God? I mean, the guy's willing to do this. So I pull the car over to the side. Literally, I stop in the middle of traffic. I pull over to the side, and I go, your life is hell. And it's probably not going to get any better until you accept Jesus. And he's, you know, there's the worst gospel message you can ever imagine. Tears start streaming down his eyes. And he goes, I'd really love that. So I, in those days, used to carry a trunk load of Bibles and discipleship material. I got it out and gave it to him. We said the sinner's prayer, and I started to get emotional and God's starting to like crack in on me a little bit you know what I mean but I still want to get home and go to bed and then I walk in the bullfrog hotel oh my god if you're getting this and you own the bullfrog hotel now please please soap soap and water please clean that so I go in there and you know it's not like uh, Applebee's where everybody's kind of I mean, there are literally people passed out on the bar and stuff. And it was right down from these factories, and I could see what was happening. People would come, and they would take their check, and they would just give it to the guy at the bar. In exchange, they'd be allowed to get a little bit of food and a bed, and their life would just be inebriated. It was a terrible place. And so I walk in there, and I'm just, just totally dismayed by this whole thing. And the guy comes out in the back and he asks us what we want. And he, uh, I realize the only thing I have is a check. I didn't bring any cash. I go, hey, I need to write you a check. And he goes, a real kind of salty guy. He goes, who are you? Why are you helping this guy? And I usually never use this term, but I looked at him and I go, you know what? I'm his pastor. And the most amazing thing happened. He took off his hat in reverence. He shook my hand and he said, Pastor, I want to thank you for coming here tonight. I really appreciate it. We'll take care of this young guy for you. I was shocked. 
The lady next to me that was passed out on the bar gets up and she says, Pastor, thank you for coming. Will you pray for us? The next person starts waking up. Before you know it, I'm pastor of the Bullfrog Hotel. 11 o'clock on a Friday night. Praying for people and they want to come to church. My mind's just spinning. And uh, I can feel like God knocking on my door, but I don't want to open. You know what I mean? I try to get him settled into his room, and it's one of those, like, you get a little room and there's one bathroom at the end of the hall kind of a thing. And, you know, I walk into his room, and it was clean. It had a little bed with, you know, clean sheets and a towel. And he thanked me, and I gave him a Bible and prayed for him. And I couldn't get out. I got lost. I kept going all these little hallways. And finally, I'm like, okay, God, what? Really? I get it. There's something bigger here. You know, in the middle of the place, the Bullfrog Hotel, I won't be labored. I get on my knees, and I'm like, God, what are you trying to say? And he said, Dave, who will pastor these people? Night after night, I'm here. My heart breaks for them. You know, I appreciate you having all these services and stuff, but could you give me a little bit of a hand down here, you know? These people are my kids. I love them just as much as I love you. They just don't know. I was thinking of that scripture from Nineveh, you know, where Jonah's all mad at them, and God goes, they don't even know their right hand from their left, and you're judging them. My friends, it's going to take more than us just having meetings with great worship service. I, mean, I love that. I'm nothing against it. But as we go into 216, I want to challenge you. We're going to take a little bit of time. There's something that the Lord's been putting on your heart. Maybe it's something extraordinary. Extraordinary. You'll have no idea. 1891, the Salvation Army is working in the east end of London. It's the most horrific conditions, some people say, ever on the earth. Harlots and drunkards and squalor and homeless and people dying. It's a terrible place. But one of the biggest atrocities is they would make matches. That was a big source of income for London. They made safety matches out of red phosphorus. And the kids that made them, when I say kids, these were young girls between 14 and 20, developed a disease they called Fossy Jaw. You see, the, the phosphorus that they used in the matches was so caustic that they breathed it in all day, and there was necrosis that happened in their faces. So these young women would just walk down the street, and their flesh would just decay. Most of them died before 18 in these factories. And in that situation, William Booth, in 1891, who's got enough on his hands, there were more people coming to his meetings than the Methodist church which was the biggest church, the, evang or, uh, the evangelical church. He's got enough on his hands. In 1891, he decides to open up a match factory. And he decides to use red phosphorus that's non-toxic. And he's going to make matches that are a little bit more expensive. And he's going to employ people and pay them twice the wage, give them fair conditions and a fair workday. So they go into the matchmaking business. I actually have one of my prized possessions. I actually have a box of matches from that factory. It's called Lights in Darkest England. He makes a match factory, and he tells everybody he knows to stop buying 
the yellow phosphorus matches. And over a period of years, all of London, all of the world really through pressure, stopped buying yellow phosphorus matches. They began to buy these what they called safety matches, the ones that you would see today, the little stick matches. And thousands and thousands of little girls' lives were saved because someone came outside of the four walls of their church and realized that revival was something bigger than us just having good meetings. All right, here's what we're going to do, a little time of activation. Maybe we can get someone to play some music or play some, but I just want to challenge you as we're going into 2016. I believe in this room we've got enough power to change all of Wilkes County for sure, most of North Carolina. But I want you to just take a minute and just think about what you can do in 2016 and just say, God, if you visit me, if you come, but let's start to create ideas and vessels for 2016 that are going to change this city. You know, that, that when God comes in revival, that we'll have something to plug into his power. Amen? Man, that went over like a rat sandwich. I'm going to back up and hit that again. You come to God and say, God, I'm going to go out and I'm going to risk more. I'm going to do more. I'm going to be more. I'm going to believe for you to do something incredible outside of these four walls for you. It might be write a book. It might be I'm going to just be faithful and emailing people. I'm going to do a jail ministry. I'm going to start a little business. I'm going to go online. I'm going to publish something to be light and salt. And let's just believe that God will visit us in 2016 in an amazing way. He said that he's got all resource beyond all measure for us, for every good work. We just need a little bit of an outlet. So I'm just going to take a minute, just in quiet, just Holy Spirit right now. I believe there are some visions that you need to sweep off. Maybe you think it's been too late or you've shelved it. or Maybe some of you have left your first love a little bit. You know, you used to be out on the front line and, you know, maybe the Lord's calling you back. Maybe there's a business idea and you're thinking, well, I'm just a homemaker. I'm just a mom. I, I can't do that, you know. Maybe there's some place that you've always felt you should go this year. You don't have a passport. You know, just believe for small steps. Maybe there's just somebody, maybe it's that, that guy across the block from you that you're like, you know, I want to witness Jesus to my neighbor. I've never taken the step and gone out there and just, I'm going to build a relationship and I'm going to witness Jesus to this guy. Maybe it's a family you want to adopt this year. Say, I know there's a young family that's struggling and I'm just going to adopt them and just whether anybody knows or not, I want to help them. Lord, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would remind us again. are immune from this, Lord. I'm not immune, Lord. I want your... Lord, sometimes I feel like I'm a million miles away from the front line, Lord. Lord, but I want to know your heart for this year. Lord, I want to 
remember that place where I was in desperation where if you didn't show up, Lord, it was it was really devastating, Lord, where we'd be in such a predicament, Lord, that if you didn't come through, Lord. Lord, I thank you for some old warriors like myself in this room, Lord. Maybe our swords have grown rusty, Lord. They've been in the sheath too long, Lord. Maybe it's time we took them out again started battling, started really going after the lost, Lord. Lord, maybe some of us have trophies on the wall, but Lord, it's time to put some new ones there, Lord. I just want to say if the Lord's speaking something to you, write it down and take initiative. It might be a small step. It might be the most insignificant step. You know, uh, I've had the privilege of working in Africa over the years and starting literally hundreds of businesses and orphanages. And it started because a guy challenged me. He said, Dave, if you don't take a tiny step forward, all I'm going to hear from you is just lip service for the next year. And I decided that I would get a passport. That's all I knew how to do. And I had to figure out, I didn't know anybody that had one. I had to figure out how to do it. You know, but it was that little step. And I guarantee you, on the other side of the vision that God is giving you right now, there are people waiting for you to fulfill your destiny. They're crying out to God for you to be all that you're called to be. Lord, I thank you for this church, Lord, and I thank you. We're going to go into 2016, Lord, believing that we are invincible, Lord God, believing that with you, Lord, we can do all things, Lord God. Lord, we're going to come to this church and we're going to get so powered up from the worship and the messages, but we are absolutely going to redefine this city, this county, this world, Lord. Lord, I, I thank you for the nations that are coming, Lord. Even in this morning services, there are nations that are coming here. And Lord, I believe this place is going to be known for transformation, Lord God. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Got my book outside. Took, took me a long time to write it. I sell the book for, I think, 20 bucks. I'm going to give it to you guys for 10 bucks. Yeah, that's a great deal. 10 bucks. And if you buy my book today, $10. Buy two for 20. Give them out. If you buy uh, my book today, Lance Walnow and I did a webinar about how to change your destiny. How to, how to find your assignment and change it. I think we normally charge like $50. But all you have to do is just sign up. Jason will have a sign-up sheet. And I'll send you the link for it. You'll get it by uh, you know, email. And you can watch that uh, webinar. So you get the book and the webinar. It's usually like $100. You get it for 10 bucks today. And it's got all my stuff in there. So Lord bless you. Thank you.